Hey, what's going on? And welcome to another episode of the Barbells and Burgers podcast. I am your host, Shane Hubbard. Thanks for joining me again today into today's episode. I am extremely stoked about this one. I love doing every single podcast episode, but this one is probably one that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. And (laughs) I had to make a decision. It took me a lot of thinking because I had to strategically plan how I wanted to best make this topic work. I could have attacked it from two different angles. I could have been very methodical and you know, thoughtful and sort of careful about this topic. And then I decided, you know what, that's not my personality. I mean, in some respects, it is my personality. In some respects, I am trying to be careful about how I speak about certain things. But this is going to be a passionate topic that I'm going to cover. And so um, that being said, I am giving you fair warning for at least the beginning part of this podcast when we talk about food shaming. I am not going to guarantee there won't be some F-bombs. So if you have kids around or you're not a big fan of cussing or passionate communication, <laughs> um, this probably isn't the beginning part of the episode that's best for you. Okay, so it it is going to get a little colorful. I'll be as respectful as I can, but I'm very, very passionate about food shaming in both directions, by the way. It's not just a one-sided thing. I like to take both sides and argue both sides because they're both very important and they can both teach us a lot of things. So when we talk about food shaming, expect there to be some very colorful four-letter words. Then we're going to talk about keto weight loss, quick keto weight loss. Uh, I sometimes get questions about why someone or why this particular person has lost so much weight on keto, especially in the beginning, and then it sort of seems to plateau. So we'll talk about that. And then we're also going to be talking about spot reducing body fat and if that's even possible. And uh, so we'll discuss that topic in depth. But let's go ahead and get started with our first topic, which is food shaming. Um, I actually have a lot of experience on the receiving end of food shaming, but not in the way that you might imagine. So from the moment, not the moment, but from the time that I decided to start eating healthy, I was going against the grain in some respects. When I was 15, I made a decision to really pursue nutrition because I was at that time so focused on having the most ideal body that I possibly could have. I wanted to be the the guys on bodybuilding.com. That's where I got started. Uh, in fact, my grandfather, when I was, I think I was 15, I was 15 or 16, and I had just quit the baseball team. And within a couple of months, he he's a big he was a big health advocate. Uh, well, maybe we'll talk about a little bit about him. Um, but at the time, I sort of didn't see health as sexy or cool. So he knew to get to me, uh, the best way to get to me, I should say, was to entice me through bodybuilding because as a male and as a man who wanted to, who prioritized um, being, how do I best say this? At 15, I cared about looking good, obviously, right? I think we all probably cared about looking good when we were 15 or at least to some degree. And I was an athlete and so I came from a, a long line of athletes and so that's how he knew he would get me hooked. I, I'm speculating. I don't know this for sure. So anyway, he introduced me to teen bodybuilding. And I never competed in any shows, but I was really interested in the process of lifting weights. And at first, I wasn't, by the way. Like, I, I actually 
didn't really care much about lifting weights. I did do like workouts here and there, like P90 and, um, you know, some of those other workouts, but I, I certainly wasn't extremely like go get after it like I am today. And, and as I made it a profession, but anyway, to sort of speed up this process from that moment, when I decided to care more about my nutrition, I got a lot of sort of snarky and derogatory comments about being Mr. Healthy. Now, this wasn't necessarily from my family, but it was from people that I worked with and people that were my friends. I did have a couple of friends that were more um, sort of into bodybuilding or at least uh, being health conscious and and improving your you know your uh, your your physique. Um, but the vast majority of people didn't understand one why I gave a shit about that when I was so young, and two that it wasn't really the cool thing to do to care about your health because when you're young you don't really have to care about your health. You know you could eat junk food from the age of you know five to twenty five and you're not going to die or anything. Um, and in some cases, if you're somewhat active, you burn it off so fast that it, it really doesn't, um, you know, metabolism is so strong that it really doesn't affect you physically. It's definitely not all the case, especially not today, but in, at least in my circles, that's the way it was. And so I got a lot of criticism for eating healthy. And as a result of that, I actually became more resistant to that in the sense that I really didn't give a shit anymore. Like at first it did sort of bother me, but I sort of, and maybe this is why I'm a coach and why I've gotten this far, I don't know, but I sort of had this conviction that I didn't give a shit what people thought of me uh, because I knew that at the end of the day, I was going to look amazing or I was going to feel amazing. And that's really a hard thing to translate to someone because it's an emotional feeling. It's a physical feeling. It's not that tangible. It's at least not something I could express through words. And so to kind of start this topic, if you are somebody who either shames people for eating quote unquote unhealthy or junk food, or you're somebody who is shamed for eating healthy and it, and it's passive a lot of times, it's not like extremely derogatory. Sometimes it's, um, you know, very casual, but at the same time, it's sometimes those casual comments that really dig the deepest. It doesn't have to be um, uh, malicious in order to feel, uh, you know, like you're being attacked for something that, you know, in all respects is really good for you and, and good for you as a person. And we'll talk about that more in depth, but, you know, whether you're the person who's shaming people who are overweight for eating or you're the person who feels um, the attack from people who are shaming you for eating healthy, there's usually the same problem at play here, okay? So let's first talk about people that are shamed for eating unhealthily, all right? So you might call this fat shaming. I called it food shaming because I, I wanted to make sure that I was focusing on the food aspect, at least in, in this topic. But if you're shaming someone for being fat because of the food that they eat, the problem with that, there's many problems, but let's start with the first one, is that many people are simply living in an environment that actually is designed, if left alone, to make them fat. The environment we live in is supposed to make you fucking fat, okay? And I say that with empathy. I don't say that as an excuse, but I say it with empathy. And that is because if you look at all the things that are at play, all the things that influence uh, fat storage, and we can break that down, 
All the things that influence fat storage are in play in our current environment. Okay? Here's why. The food environment we live in, for the first time in human history, can pack more calories into a smaller amount of food than ever before. So, you're telling me that in an environment that has more calories per gram of food or weight of food or physical amount of food, mixed with an environment that is unbelievably more sedentary than it's ever been in human history, you're telling me it doesn't make sense that someone's going to be overweight? That's fucking bullshit. You, if you don't understand why the majority of people are obese and overweight and suffer from things like you know, metabolic disease and insulin resistance and things like this, then you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what is going on in the environment. Okay? Bar none. So if you are somebody who makes fun of people for being fat, one, you aren't applying enough empathy. Anytime that you are fat shaming someone or food shaming someone, what that really says about you is that you have a lot of pain and you don't know how to express that pain productively. And as a result, you are projecting your pain and your insecurities onto somebody else. So if you're listening to this and you're pissed off right now because I'm identifying you, then good. Maybe you'll change. (laughs) Maybe you'll change for the better. Maybe this is the podcast that changes your life. I don't know. But my point is, you have to understand the environment that we live in. And again, I don't want this to sound like an excuse. I'm not giving people who are overweight to the degree that they are very unhealthy an excuse for being that way. I'm trying to empathize with them and understand their situation. Because there's a good chance that if we were in that same situation, we would be pretty much the same way. Not always, but that's where the empathy comes in. It's important to have empathy with someone who is severely overweight because you have no fucking idea what they've been through. They could be through they be, could be going through so much emotional pain. They could have such a lack of support. They could be essentially raised on processed food. There are many people and I would say a handful of clients that I have trained who were raised exclusively on processed food. If you're raised exclusively on processed food, your metabolism and your appetite and your brain chemistry and your relationship with food is completely different than somebody who either has a mix or has pretty much a whole food-based upbringing or childhood, all right? So you have to understand that sometimes it's not that the person is like dumb or they don't know that they should be eating better. It's because the conditions that have been manifested throughout their life have worked in a way that they are um, becoming overweight and obese or they already are. And I've never been obese, so I'm not talking from personal experience, but I have coached people in this state. And I can tell you that the hardest part from my perspective, I won't say this as a, as a person, because again, I, I've never been obese, but from my conversations with these people, these clients of mine, one of the hardest things is to wake up every single day and believe that there's a way out of where you currently are. It feels like you've dug two inches away from China. Let's say you're on the opposite end of the world and you're digging all the way to China. 
it feels like you're two inches away from China and suddenly you decide, I need to go back to where I first started. But you can't even see the end of the tunnel. You can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. So there's no hope. There's a lack of hope, which is such an important part of any beginning of journey. If you don't have hope, you don't have a, you don't have a jumpstart. You don't have a catalyst. It's very difficult to go from a state of complete, uh, I don't even know what the best word is, but just complete defeat and find any amount of energy or anything that's going to muster a jumpstart to get you to go in the right direction. And then on top of that, having to go through every single day, knowing that it's going to be challenging, knowing it's going to be difficult. So unless you've been obese and you've made the journey to a healthier you, you can't talk on that subject. And the only reason that I'm mentioning it and being careful about how I talk about it is because I work with these people. I help them get to a better place in their life. And it's, it's a grind every single day. So please, if you are somebody who fat shames or food shames people for only eating processed food, if you can pause for five seconds and just try to apply some empathy to the situation, I think that you'll get a much broader picture of what's actually going on. Very little, if any, of the problem comes from having a lack of awareness that the the person is overweight and obese to a very unhealthy and severe degree. That is not the problem. That has never been the problem with anyone that I've worked with in that state. The problem is a lack of support, an environment that continually pushes towards them foods that are more pleasurable, an environment that causes them, you know, as a lack of having support or having any sort of external support of any kind, oftentimes these types of people will turn to food for that support. Now imagine that. Imagine having nobody that you can talk to or imagine having nobody who really understands you or cares about you or imagine growing up in an environment where your parents really weren't that supportive or your, your family, um, you know, people in your life, uh, unfortunately have died or have, you know, very traumatic situations in your life have happened. You live with pain every single freaking day. And sometimes you just don't want to be in pain. A lot of times that's what these people are going through and food, at least for a moment, Although it obviously it's not a solution to a bigger problem, at least for a moment provides some sort of pleasure or some sort of relief from pain. Okay, so it goes deeper than just the fucking food. All right, the food is the sort of band-aid on the situation. But it's not the problem that these people have. It's the underlying conditions that cause them to not give a shit about their health and feel as though their value as a human being is lower than the dirt that we walk on. Okay, that is the underlying condition for a lot of these people. I'll never say it's for everyone, for a lot of people. It's an emotional, it's a mental, it's a stress condition that they are going through. And food is the band-aid for that, in a temporary sense, obviously, for that pain. So if you don't understand that, and you're not willing to empathize than that with that, then shut the fuck up, okay? Nobody wants to hear anything you have to say. And you are in the value that you are 
trying to, or I guess the kickstart, like, because I guess a lot of people think that, oh, this person just needs to be like boot camped or sergeant into, you know, being healthier. Bullshit. That's like putting salt on a wound. You have to have empathy for these situations. You have to understand what the person's going through. And just because you have empathy doesn't mean that you aren't trying to provide a actual solution. And it also doesn't mean that you're giving them an excuse or you're enabling them. Empathy is understanding someone's situation, but not enabling it any further. So as a coach, one of the things that I feel that I have a huge advantage over other coaches, I'm not saying every coach, I'm certainly not the only one that has empathy, but I believe that my innate empathy that I've had since I was a kid, that how deep that goes allows me to be a more effective coach because I'm able to look past all the surface bullshit and go, what really matters to you? How do you really feel? What kind of pain are you actually going through? And listen to that person talk and then apply that empathy to finding solutions for that person. Just because I have empathy doesn't mean that I believe that, you know, protein intake should be lower or that, you know, <laughs> calorie deficit doesn't exist or that it, it's not a real thing. Or just because I understand that somebody's metabolic system might not be 100% healthy, am I willing to use that as an excuse to why they're not losing weight? The empathy comes in making you a better problem solver. Or if you're not even a coach, it helps you become a better supporter of that person's reality. It also just helps you become a better person in general. One of the things that I hate so much about the the internet and social, um, um, what am I trying to say? Internet social socializing is the lack of empathy that comes with that because there's not enough cues that we're so used to as human beings for developing empathy. It's one of the reasons why I feel like the entire world was affected by what happened to George Floyd because we saw physical evidence and we could relate to, not relate, but we could empathize with him in those last moments of his life. And I'm not trying to turn this into you know, a, a human rights podcast or anything. I'm just trying to explain empathy. Um, so anyway, getting back to the point, if you are food shaming people without, well, I shouldn't even say that stop food shaming people. Okay. Stop being an asshole, have empathy and try to understand because that will make a huge difference. Okay. All right. So we've talked about food shaming in probably the more traditional sense, at least what you probably thought of when you first heard the topic was going to be food shaming. Now let's talk about food shaming on the other side of the spectrum, shaming people for eating healthy food, okay? So now I'm talking to the other person. Now I'm talking to the person who probably doesn't eat that healthy, who sees someone in their office or someone in their life or a family member or a friend order a salad at a restaurant and criticizes them for doing that, okay? Shut the fuck up, okay? You're not a good friend if you're going around telling people or is trying to shame them in a passive way for trying to improve something about themselves. That is bullshit. You should feel bad for doing that. Just like you should feel bad for shaming people who are fat 
because you know they've got stuff going on in their life that you'll never know about just because they eat more food than you know somebody else and just because they're li- essentially living the exactly the way the environment has designed them to be so stop shaming people for eating healthy food encourage them and you know i will say this it's it's usually two types of people it's the person who's overweight who feels as though eating healthy or people that eat healthy around them are trying to be superior. If you believe that being healthy is, is a way of being superior, that is your own problem. That means that you do not believe enough about yourself. You don't hold yourself in a high enough regard to consider that a possibility for yourself. I can tell you as a healthy eater or at least a healthy person that never once have I created a healthy meal going, you know what? I hope this pisses off Pam at the office. Because you know what would make my day? Is if I was healthier than her and that would make me superior. A lot of times the Pams, or if we're going with the more traditional name, Karens of the world, feel as though everyone who is healthy is trying to do it to spite them or to piss them off. And maybe once in your life, Karen, or, you know, whoever this person is, maybe once in your life, somebody did do that to you, okay? The problem that human beings have, and this goes across so many different avenues, is that we take 1% of a population and we generalize it to the rest of the 99%. That is a huge problem with human beings in general, not just health. It goes, it goes for everything, you have one bad apple and it spoils the bunch. That's your belief is that it always happens that way. Instead of realizing that if the magnifying glass is on the 1%, that means it's not on the 99%, which means that we're only looking at a sort of anomaly in the system. And we're using that as a representation of the entire system. I can't speak for everything, but I can tell you that the person who brings a salad to your office to eat for themselves is not thinking about you when they eat their salad going, I can't wait till Karen sees this because she's going to be pissed off because I'm superior to her. Fuck off with that thought. (laughs) Seriously, that is so stupid. Nobody designs, everyone who's trying to be healthy is doing it for themselves or doing it for their family, or doing it for a good reason. No one would last eating healthy if all they did, all the reason that they did it for was because they were trying to spite somebody who wasn't healthy, right? If that was the case, then healthy people would just be eating healthy food at unhealthy restaurants all the time and bringing their own versions of it and just eating in front of you and going, look, I'm healthy. You know, the people that do that, they're stupid too. And again, don't let that person ruin your perception of what it means to be healthy. So if you shame people, whether it's at your office or amongst your friends, or even if you're being passive about it, like even if you're sort of being an asshole, but you're being an asshole in a passive aggressive way, stop that shit. Okay, you're only hurting yourself. And if you truly care about the friends that are doing this for themselves, you wouldn't do that. So you might want to reevaluate if you're a good friend or not. Or you might want to reevaluate the kind of friend that you are to other people. If you shame somebody for trying to be healthier, 
That's bullshit. And I, I believe that you should feel guilty for that because if you don't, nothing's going to change. All right, let's shift gears just a little bit. What do you do if you are the person being shamed? If you're the sort of the victim in this situation? I'm not going to speak so much on the fact of what to do if you are overweight in a very unhealthy way and what you should do because I don't think it would do you justice if you're listening to this and that is your state currently because I'm not going to be able to provide detailed enough information of what you're going through, but I would like to at least try to give my take on it. So take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt and know that I haven't been where you're at, but if I had to do it in the, in the most empathetic way possible, this is how I would do it. The very first thing that I think is important is you have to understand that it's not you, it's the person who's shaming you. Unfortunately, when human beings feel pain, and I'm not excluding myself from this, it's not like I'm sitting on a pedestal, I do this too, I'm just thankfully aware enough to notice it and be able to speak on it. When we feel pain, the only concern that we have in that moment is getting out of pain. We're not concerned about other people's feelings. We're not concerned about other people's situations. We're probably not even concerned about other people in general or anything in general. We just want to get out of pain. And some of us do it by expressing that through anger or frustration towards other people. And some of us become sort of a recluse and let that build up until it becomes a really big problem and we explode, right? I'm not saying there's just two people, but on average, that's a lot of what happens. If you're being shamed for being fat or for your food choices, the most powerful thing you can do is realize that isn't your problem. It might feel like it. I'm not denying that. It might feel like it is your problem. But know with confidence from somebody who coaches people to lose weight and improve the empowerment they feel within themselves, that all that person is doing when they shame you is transferring them their pain to you. And if you can learn to not absorb that pain or do your best to not absorb that painful experience they're trying to pass on to you, the battles that you face won't be as tough. Okay, it'll be easier. I'm not saying it's going to be cured. It's not a one-stop shop. But it will get easier when you start to associate being a victim of, of fat shaming with someone else's own pain and them trying to transfer that pain to you. It's like playing hot potato. If we're trying to find like kind of a cute and uh, innocent way of describing this, it's like playing hot potato. No one wants to hold a hot potato. So they keep passing it along. The same goes with whatever pain we're dealing with. You know, some people could be going through a real tough time and I'm not giving them an excuse for, you know, taking it out on you. But sometimes we have to realize that, I wouldn't even say sometimes, most of the time, we have to realize that whether they know it or not, people will transfer their pain and their frustration and their insecurities onto us in a way that's visually obvious or viscerally obvious, if that's the right way of putting it. And unfortunately, if you are overweight the most obvious thing to that person is probably, or the, I shouldn't say the most obvious, but the easiest thing to pick on is your weight. Again, not giving this person an excuse. I'm not trying to make an excuse for anyone here. I'm just trying to 
sort of play detective and expose all the things that are going on so that you're aware of the different situations and take different perspectives and vantage points. So if that's the very first thing that you can do, I think it's probably the most powerful is to realize that this person is choosing you as a victim of their own pain and they're projecting it onto you. If that doesn't make you feel any better, I don't blame you. It's, it's really not going to make you that feel that better because this is a logical approach to an emotional situation. So I don't expect it to be a one-to-one ratio of, you know, solution to, or to problem. But sometimes in the moments that you are dealing with that, when the emotion subsides, the logic can help the curing process or the, the, you know, the cooling down process of that emotion easier to deal with. And I would say that continued support is probably the best way to go about that. But if I'm just being completely honest with you, that's about the best I can do. Okay. If, if you really deal with something like this on a daily basis or a frequent enough basis to where it's really eating at you, I think the best thing you can do is get, you know, very, very personalized and, um, real help in psychology about this and maybe therapy is a good thing for you and and feel empowered and confident in, in getting therapy um i've been through therapy I, I, a lot of my friends actually uh, you know come to find out are in therapy or going to therapy um don't be ashamed don't be ashamed of, of asking for help and um and finding support through those that you trust or building trust with people that are around you to then feel really you know supported by them Um, because I'm just not going to be able to give you the best advice on that. Switching gears a little bit, I can give you advice on if you are the victim of somebody who's shaming you for eating healthy, because I do have experience in that. The best road that I have found to take is to give people reasons why you're trying to be healthy. Because what it automatically does is it takes away their perception of why you are trying to be healthy, like we talked about earlier. Sometimes people believe that those that are eating healthier are doing it because they feel like they are superior to the person who is shaming them. If you remove that presumption, if you remove that that idea in their head, that assumption, I said, not presumption, that's not the right word, assumption. If you remove that assumption and give them an actual reason why, they can't really argue that, right? So if someone comes up to you and says, oh, well, you think you're better than us ordering a salad? Your response could be something like, no, I don't think I'm better than you. I just know that a salad is going to be the amount of calories that I need, and I'm trying to eat more vegetables, and this is what's going to work best for my current goals, and, you know, the, the conversation continue on and be like, you know, but, but at that point, they are a little less defensive, I, th- I guess is probably the best word, because you've given legitimate reasons why. Who's going to argue with someone who wants to have more energy, be happier, have a better body, be more comfortable in that body, feel good? If you're someone who's arguing against that, you're a masochist and you're crazy and you should not be associ- associating yourself with people that are like that. Because that's stupid, and and you most likely aren't. Because if you are, it would have been obvious probably a long time ago. But when you give the people who are shaming you 
a legitimate and logical reason as to why you're trying to be healthy, it removes their assumption, their negative assumption at that, as to why you're trying to be healthier. So sometimes it's just a little bit of communication. You don't have to be snobby about it. You don't have to be a jerk about it. You can be very, very cordial and respectful. Well, I need to be healthier for me. I want to be healthier. I don't feel good when I wake up. I have aches and pains. I'm not happy with my body image. I'm trying to improve that. And I think that if I felt more comfortable in my body that I, you know, I would feel more uh, confident in it, um, you know, things like that. And I think to a certain degree, everyone can relate to that because whether you're, you know, you're lean or you're overweight, I think, you know, at least the younger generations do have a body image sort of complex. And I think it's a natural result of living in an environment that constantly pushes and, and advertises sort of ideal bodies or, you know, really thin or very slim bodies. Uh, if you, if you're, you know, I don't even know what generation I would be considered. I was born in 1989. So maybe I am a uh, millennial. I don't really know. But if you're a millennial or younger, you live in a world where you are constantly around models in, in clothing ads and all these, these are the most attractive people that a lot of these industries could find. And so it's sort of difficult. It's extremely difficult not to compare yourself to that because you think that, especially when it comes to the opposite sex or whatever sex you're attracted to, you believe that that person that you, th you think you have to be that person on the ad or whatever. So anyway, I don't want to go too far into body image because that's a whole different topic. But my point is, is that very few people are going to argue with you if you are doing something to improve yourself. But you have to interject that reasoning for the person because they're not going to put it them there themselves. They're automatically going to assume something negative. And I would say that most people do this. I do this. I have to coach myself and practice taking the optimistic road and not the pessimistic road. And I think the reason why I can talk about this so, so confidently is because I have so much experience with being a pessimist and having to coach myself out of that mindset on a nearly daily basis. So if you are, quote unquote, the victim of someone who's shaming you for eating healthy, the best route is not to be combative. It's actually to be a better communicator, to explain why to explain why it is that you are doing the thing that you're doing. And you don't have to justify it. I'm not saying you have to list out all the reasons, but a little bit of communication can go a really long way. So if you start there nine times out of 10, you're going to get very far and that's going to solve the problem. Now, in some cases, especially with social eating, like if you go to someone's house or someone makes you something, this, this was something that was very challenging for me and it took me a long time to learn how to navigate this if someone makes something for you or makes something for the group like someone you know some lady or guy at the um it's usually a woman but I'm, i won't you know try to project that uh that assumption but um someone bakes something or makes something for the office or for whatever and they ask you if you want some now a lot of times the social pressure is to say yes but if you're the kind of person who isn't trying to eat two donuts at work twice a week, you're going to have to learn how to say no. And saying no to somebody 
stings a lot for the person who's being denied, right? Anytime you're denied, it, it stings a little bit. Maybe not for everyone, but if you're dealing with this, it probably stings a little bit. So understanding that saying no to that person stings can actually help you out a lot. You could say something like, you know what? I really appreciate your offering, but right now I'm being very diligent about what I consume. And I just won't be able to fit this in because I already have my meals planned out. But I, again, I really do appreciate the fact that you took the time and energy to make this for all of us. I appreciate you. It's going to be difficult for that person to argue with you at that point. Not that that's the goal of the strategy or, or the goal of the conversation. But again, it, ta- it comes with communication. It comes with explaining the situation. Now, I'll be very candid with you and say that a lot of times what I would do, because I did at the time have a very difficult time saying no, is I would thank the person and would take an offering and when they weren't looking at throw it in the trash. Now, you might say that's disrespectful. Okay, that's your opinion. That's fine. But at the time, that's what served me best. And I was trying to navigate the best way to be respectful. And I realized that a lot of, and actually it was through this approach that I realized that most of the time, because I would do both, I would say no, and then sometimes I would say yes. And what I realized was, is it's not the fact that you're not eating the food. Like it's not that you're not eating their special crumb cake or whatever. It's that people feel good doing things for other people. And if you deny them the pleasure of doing something for you so that they can feel good, which if you think about it is sort of selfish, but we won't go into that, then you're denying them the hard work they put into making whatever they made. And you're also denying them their um, pleasure in doing something for other people. So that's why it's so challenging is because our brains as human beings are, are hardwired to be social and to find pleasure in being social and um, into being, uh, what's generous, is, is a, that's, that's the word I was looking for, for being generous. We are hardwired to get pleasure out of being generous. If someone denies our generosity, that obviously doesn't feel that good. And so that's when people will get defensive about saying, well, why don't you want to have it? And then it turns into a, oh, this person thinks they're better than me or this person, you know, blah, blah, blah. So again, the communication makes all the difference. If you do your best to communicate in a respectful way, that it's not that you don't think their food is good. It's that you are trying to manage what you are eating right now because you are being a healthier person or you're being a person that's more mindful of their food and not just eating everything that flies near your face. Then at that point, if they aren't willing to accept that, that is no longer your problem. You have to then remove yourself. You can communicate all you all you want, but at some point if that person isn't willing to accept or isn't willing to be okay with your you know, respectful uh, decline of their offering, then everything that comes after that is their problem, not yours. You've been respectful. You've explained why, what you're doing. And you know, at that point, it's their problem, not yours. Okay. Now, if I had to make a recommendation, I would use both strategies. There are some cases where you don't want to deal with pissed off Karen when, you, when she offers you something and you deny it. Right? It's just not more drama and bullshit that you want right now. So it's understandable. But sometimes it's going to be really easy to say no. 
and be respectful, especially when you've practiced it or you've sort of rehearsed it in your head, right? That can make a huge difference. So anyway, we're at minute 40 and we've only gone over food shaming. So maybe this should have been its own topic. And I sort of had an inclination that it was, it should have been, but that's okay. We still have 20 minutes. We can definitely cover the other two topics. To close out this topic, I want to sort of debrief by saying that, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this. And the reason is, is because I do have empathy for both sides. And neither side is right. Neither side has a valid excuse. And neither side should be getting away with what they are doing. So both of you, stop it. Stop doing what you're doing. If you are shaming people for being healthy, stop it. Or if you are shaming people for being unhealthy or overweight, stop it. Instead of doing that, have a little bit of empathy and say jack shit. Okay, don't say anything. Okay, what is the, what is the saying? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Okay, that is the approach you need to take. And if I just lost you, as a follower or as a listener, whatever, good riddance. Enjoy the rest of your life being miserable. Okay, let's go ahead and get into topic number two. Does anyone even remember what topic number two is? Maybe I'll do a giveaway. If you can remember what topic number two is, I'll give you a prize. I don't know what the prize is, but I'll give it to you. All right, so topic number two is quick keto weight loss. Thankfully, based on my poor time management, this won't take too long at all to explain, but there is some sort of nitty gritties that we need to discuss. So why do people on keto lose weight very quickly? If you've heard me talk about this before, you might want to fast forward because it's going to be the same speech. When you go keto, you're only eating protein and a lot of fat practically no carbohydrates. If you're really doing the true keto diet, if you're doing like some kind of hybrid keto sort of not really science, not the real scientific method for doing keto, then this is a different conversation. But if you are doing the keto diet, you are completely eliminating carbohydrates. Okay. And that includes vegetables to a large degree too, which that's one of the reasons why I don't necessarily favor a keto diet, but there's, there's ways of making it work. Well, if you cut out carbohydrates, what you're essentially doing is cutting out a macronutrient that will store a lot of water in your muscle cells and in your body in general, particularly particularly in your liver and your muscle cells. Now, if you store a lot of water through carbohydrate consumption, which if you think of it from an evolutionary standpoint is actually super beneficial because you need water, uh, you need frequent amounts of water much more than you need frequent amounts of food. You can die sooner from dehydration than you will from uh, starvation. Well, if you're not eating carbohydrates, you're not going to be storing water in your muscle cells. So what happens if you're not consuming a food that helps you retain water? Well, you don't retain water anymore, which means that if there is any water in your cells, then it's being depleted. Well, is water a form of weight? I'll wait for your answer. That's why I'm paused. It's not because I forgot what to say. (laughs) Yes, you are going to lose weight because water is a form of weight. So if you lose 20 pounds in the first month on keto, 
Some of that's probably fat. You know, if it's in a calorie deficit, if it's not, then it's all water. But you can be guaranteed that about 85 to 90% of the weight you lose initially on keto is water weight within the first one to two weeks, maybe even one to four weeks, depending on, you know, how much weight you have to lose. Because obviously the bigger person you are, both height and, you know, weight, the more water you're going to hold. So that's why you lose weight really quickly. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me on social media or just on the internet in general and said, dude, I lost 25 pounds in a month. I haven't lost a single pound in the last three months. What the hell is going on? And, you know, I basically told, tell them what I just told you. I said, keto is the perfect uh, sort of scam diet because it gets rid of the water weight on your body through restriction of carbohydrates. So you can technically say that keto helps you lose weight without being wrong, but you're also being deceiving because that weight is just water. And water is very easy to come on and come off of your body. So it's not fat. The only thing that helps with fat loss is a calorie deficit. So if your keto diet doesn't also create a calorie deficit, you're not losing fat. You're just losing water. So instead of looking like a swollen person, now you just look like a flat person with a bunch of extra skin. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So weight loss on keto is an illusion in the beginning. It's largely an illusion. It's one of the reasons why the keto diet got so popular is because people had this idea that, wow, I'm really losing weight fast. This must really be working. And then the keto diet basically says, haha, nope, that was just water weight. Now you actually got to put in the work. So there's nothing special about keto for fat loss. Now, that being said, if the ketogenic diet creates a calorie deficit for you, creates sustainability and doesn't harm your health, more power to you. Use it, please, because that is the holy grail of losing weight and and keeping it off, is finding something that creates a calorie deficit with balance for you and sustainability. If you can do that, it doesn't matter what diet you use. And it also shouldn't, you know, directly negatively affect your long-term health either. Because obviously if, if you get really lean and get a six pack, but you die at 36, it's like, okay, that, that sucks. <laughs> There's no point in that, right? Nobody wants to do that diet unless maybe you're, I don't know, James Dean or one of these live fast, die young mindseted people. Okay. So that's keto weight loss. That's why weight loss happens very quick on keto. When you look at studies that are done on people who do keto versus people who don't, the people who lose keto or to use keto to lose weight, lose weight faster than those that don't. But eventually the two uh, areas basically meet. The two people both meet because at that point they both have to follow a calorie deficit. So again, water weight through water water weight loss through keto is an illusionary weight loss uh, process. Expect a lot of weight in the beginning when you go on keto to be dropped off your body. After that, expect to have to follow a calorie deficit just like everyone else. Okay, so again, just keeping that in mind. All right, let's go ahead and finish this podcast by talking about spot reducing body fat. This this actually came up because I got a question the other day about how to lose fat around your hips or how to lose fat around, I mean, just how to lose fat around insert body part here. 
you know, for women, it's usually hips, thighs, uh, back of the arms, like towards, um, you know, what's typically referred to as the tricep area. Um, for guys, it's belly fat. It's, uh, you know, for some guys, it's chest fat. Um, for a lot of people, it's fat in their face. You know, how do I lose the fat in that area? And how do I prioritize the fat loss in that area? Well, first, let me defend the body for why that's not possible. So I already gave you the first clue. Um, how weird and goofy would it look if you could only, if you could control where you lost fat? All right, let's say you could lose fat around your stomach, but not around your face. Wouldn't it be really weird to have a six pack, but have like a really fat face? Or wouldn't it be weird to have like your arms be like really overweight and fat and then your legs be really like cut up? It doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense to a large degree um, from a storing perspective. So the body's not thinking like we are. We, we have to realize that. It's just storing fat where it needs to store fat, where it's probably going to be more, most useful, which is you know, around the organs or around uh, you know, the muscles. Or if you're a woman, uh, fat around your legs and your hips are most beneficial for child, child rearing. Um, so you know, there is some evolutionary and hormonal um, influence as, as to where we store fat. But it's very difficult to control where we take fat off. Okay, you can't just say I want to lose fat off of my triceps and do a bunch of tricep exercises. Or my my favorite is um, people that do a bunch of crunches, thinking that's going to help them lose fat in their stomach. When really I've seen plenty of people with really strong abs, but tons of body fat on their stomach. You know, it, it, that's not how it works. So you can't. Uh, directly affect the fat that you lose in a specific area. Now, what I'm about to talk about is not my area of expertise, but I think it's worth mentioning because if there is an expert out there that is, is listening, if there is an expert on this that's listening, that would be amazing because that would really help me out. But if there, and I'm doing a search on this, by the way, I'm trying to find someone who can help me um, understand more about how hormones influence either body fat storage um, in terms of where it's stored uh, because I don't completely understand that or I don't know how much validity is against uh, or backed behind the things that I have heard. Um, but I have done some research and looked into how hormones can change where we store fat. So like a classic example is if you have high cortisol, you are more likely to store fat in your belly. Now, this doesn't mean that if you have high cortisol and you are eating a normal amount of calories, meaning amount of calories that would keep your weight the same, that you are still going to only store fat on your stomach. But I like to think of it, at least in my understanding, is that if you are going to overeat calories, you are going to be in fat storage mode because you are overeating calories. Hormones can determine where that extra fat does go. And again, that's my understanding. I could be off by this, but I have tried to do as much research as I possibly can, and this is the best information that I've found. So again... That is one of my one of my long-term goals is finding people that can help clarify this for me. So you might see a future episode that talks more about this. I do know that spot reducing body fat has not been scientifically shown to work. 
especially not long-term and especially not outside of a calorie deficit or out of energy balance. So remember, energy balance, the law of energy balance is the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Everything underneath that um, it has to be, that's, this is not the best way to put it. Think of it like an umbrella. Everything that influences weight loss, weight gain, or weight maintenance is influenced by calories. And then after that, things can influence. It goes both ways. It's a dynamic process. So spot reduction is not possible. I wish it was because then I could sit here and tell you that it was and then we could, you, know, you could actually do it and make it happen. That would be amazing. But it isn't possible. Okay. So anyway, that is my topic on spot reduction. Um, I did want to sh- shed a little bit of light on the fact that depending on your home hormone profile, you can store fat in different areas. It's one of the reasons where why if a man has more estrogen, a higher level of estrogen to testosterone, and he eats in a calorie surplus, meaning he eats more calories than he burns, he will develop man boobs. All right, that's that's a very real thing. Your hormones are like rudders of a ship right? They're, they're on the boat. They help tell your body where to store fat. They don't store more fat because they are more active or, or they're out of, uh, you know, sync, just inherently store more fat and less calories are in surplus. So that's an important thing to understand. But anyway, we'll, we'll elaborate on that topic in the future when there's someone who's an expert talking to me about that or, I have interviewed an expert, which I, I do plan to start bringing guests on this show. Um, the reason why I've been uh, putting it off is because with quarantine and everything, a lot of guests, I've actually reached out to a lot of people and they're just not available because they're having to make modifications to their work schedules. Um, I'm going to be going back to working at my gym soon. I'm going to have to get in that environment again and understand my schedule there before I know how to tinker with it. Um, so I've just, it's not a good time to try to coordinate, um, having other people or being dependent on someone else's schedule. So I've just been doing these podcasts when I have the free time because I have a lot more control over that. So anyway, I will plan on bringing guests on. And if there is somebody out there in the health and fitness world, um, who's an author or an expert that you would like me to interview or suggest at least, Um, because I definitely don't agree with all of them, nor would I want to interview them if I don't agree with them, or at least don't feel like they can provide more information than I already have, um, then let me know. I'd be more than happy to at least explore that option and and make it a possibility. Uh, Okay, cool. Well, that is everything that I wanted to talk about today. Hopefully you don't feel too scarred by all of my uh, cussing and passionate communication. as I so weirdly call it. Um, Anyway, before I end today's podcast, if you would so kindly as to, uh, if you feel like you want to, if you actually feel like this is something that you want to do, leave a review of the podcast. I would highly uh, recommend it because I think it can go a long way and help a lot of people who are listening. And I would really appreciate it as well. As a listener and as someone who is uh, devoted to listening to my podcast, I would 
really appreciate a review of some kind. I think that would go a long way for everyone that's listening. It also helps get the word out about my podcast. You know, Apple does this thing where, you know, the more positive reviews a podcast has and comments that are beneficial to others, the more it wants to show it to other people sort of organically. So that's how you can help me out if maybe you've been thinking, uh, you know, wow, you know, Shane's making this podcast. It's really helping me out. I wish there was something I could do for him. That would be it. That would be the best thing that you can do probably for the least amount of effort uh, that you would need to put into it. So anyway, thanks a ton for listening to today's podcast and I will see you in a future episode.